Well, I want to start today by talking about those people. Raise your hand if you think when I, you know what I'm talking about when I say those people. All right, don't point at anybody in here. All right, but they're crazy. They're everywhere. And to be honest, a lot of us have those people in our lives. I don't know who those people are for you. Maybe they're people who look different than you. Maybe they're people who act different than you or dress different than you. They may be people who vote different than you. They may be people who sin different than you. And we all sin, but they just sin different than you. Those people. And most of us at some point in our lives find, us li find ourselves living with those, uh, those people approach. And we think about the other people as those people and inevitably takes away from what God wants to do through us when we have that attitude. We're going to study another Old Testament character this morning, Jonah, for a few minutes as we continue in our pothole series Looking at emotional potholes, if we're not careful, we can find ourselves falling into. And Jonah's not any different. Jonah falls into the pothole of bitterness. And bitterness kept him from living out to the full what God wanted to do with him in his life. You have to stay with me this morning because we're going to cover four chapters in about 20, 25 minutes. So we're going to go through a lot of stuff about Jonah. Jonah 1.1, we read, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before. Now Joppa, where Jonah was, to Nineveh is 550 miles away. A little bit of info, it would have been considered northern Iraq, today to give you some context. At that time, Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. God calls it a great city, not because it's a good city, but because it was a powerful, powerful city. And when they conquered a nation, they just didn't conquer the nation. They would practice genocide. There are inscriptions of the Assyrians from that day where they tortured their enemies using their skulls as decorations. This was a nasty, nasty place. God tells Jonah, I want you to go there and I want you to preach to them. Here's what I want you to do. Jonah gets from God what a lot of us want from God. We often say, God, what do you want me to do? God, what's your will for me? Well, God says, here's my will for you, Jonah. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go here and I want you to do it now. But because of the bitterness in Jonah's life, he didn't follow through. Bitterness probably that had grown over generations. My guess is his grandparents, certainly his parents, would have looked and talked to Jonah about those people. Don't have anything to do with those people, Jonah. But now God's saying, Jonah, I want you to go to those people, that wicked place, those who rebel against me and preach to them. And the thing about the pothole of bitterness is if it gets left unchecked, 
it always gets bigger. If it's left unchecked, it always gets bigger. Hebrews tells us, don't let the root of bitterness begin to grow. Because once bitterness begins to take over, it takes root, and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Maybe you've been hurt by someone in your past, and you've tried to leave it in your past, but it keeps coming back up, and it's even affecting relationships that you try to enter into now. Maybe when you were growing up, you had a dad who was absent pretty much all the time. The divorce made it pretty much impossible to see him. You didn't hear from him very much. Maybe you got a card every once in a while, email, phone call. But then at some point, he just really didn't exist. You told yourself, it doesn't bother me. It doesn't bother me. I'm going to leave that in the past, and I'm not going to think about it anymore. But the harder you try, the more it still comes up. The more it rears its ugly head. Because when bitterness takes root, it grows and it grows. Or maybe you had a best friend who knew everything about you. You told her everything. You trusted her. But then there were the rumors. There was betrayal. You haven't talked to her for a long, long time. But there's something within you that every time you make a new friend, a new acquaintance, there's a voice that says, put up a wall. Don't get too close. Don't ever let yourself get hurt like that again. Bitterness, left unchecked, it gets bigger. And if we're not careful, it takes over. Some of you may feel that you're entitled to be bitter to be bitter for the rest of your life. How's that work for you? I heard someone say, when they're talking about bitterness, they put it like this. Bitterness is lighting yourself on fire, hoping the smoke will bother the other person. Right? Never really works. And it limits us to what God can do through us. So Jonah stands at the port of Joppa, He knows what God wants him to do, but he's stuck in this pothole of bitterness. Verse 3, chapter 1, Jonah ran away from the Lord, and he headed to Tarshish. He headed to Tarshish. Now, I can't hardly say that word, but it's a fun word. You ever hear a word when someone's talking and say, man, I'd like to try to say that. It sounds fun. Tarshish. I gave him Tarshish. Help me here. One, two, three, let's say it together. You can't say it either. Huh? Tarshish. Well, he heads out to Tarshish. He gets on a boat. Nineveh is 550 miles in the opposite direction. Why would he do that? Well, again, he didn't want to go to those people. He wanted nothing to do with those people, those people who rebelled against God. And so here's what Jonah does. In an effort to avoid those people, he becomes those people. In an effort to avoid those people, he becomes one of those people. One of the reasons we live in bitterness is because we don't recognize we are all those people. We are all those people. And that's where the gospel makes sense 
and begins. Everybody sinned. Done this with you before, but I love to do this as a reminder. Look at the person next to you and say, you're a sinner. Turn it, say, you're a sinner. Everybody has sinned. Everybody has run from God. We are all those people. Brene Brown talks about this in her TED Talk. She says this, we are all those people. That's the truth. Most of us are one paycheck, one divorce, one drug-addicted kid, one mental health diagnosis, one serious illness, one sexual assault, one drinking binge, one night of unprotected sex, one affair from being those people. The ones we don't trust, the ones we pity, the ones we don't let our children play with, the ones bad things happen to, the ones we don't live, want to live next door to. We are all those people. But somehow Jonah misses that reality. And it's easy to live with bitterness because bitterness is usually rooted in self-righteousness. We don't let ourselves think that we are those people. Verse 4, then the Lord sent a violent wind. Such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break apart, fall apart. All the sailors were afraid. Each one cried out to their own God. That's little g, God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. Notice, even in Jonah's disobedience, Jonah's disobedience doesn't disqualify him to do what God's called him to do. That's huge. God can still move. God goes after Jonah through a storm. And I think that's interesting. He allows a storm to chase him down. What's that got to do with you and me? Well, if you are in the midst of a storm, winds and waves crashing against you in life, don't always think, well, God's disobedient disabandoned me in this. God may be pursuing you with the winds and the waves to get your attention, and he's not going to make your life easy when you're on the run. So he sends a storm. Verse 5 was a great storm. Jonah had gone below deck where he laid down and fell into a deep sleep. Dramamine, I'm guessing. I mean, how do you sleep in that, right? The captain can't believe he's sleeping. He says to Jonah, how can you sleep? And don't miss what this pagan captain says. He says, get up and call on your God. Maybe he'll take notice of us and we will not perish. The captain says, if you call out to God, maybe he'll have compassion on us. We don't deserve it, but maybe he will. Well, the sea keeps getting worse. The sailors recognize there's something supernatural in this storm. Verse 9, finally, Jonah comes clean. In essence, he says, hey, God, uh, hey, guys, turns out I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord God, the real one, the one who created the sea. That's my God. And those guys are like, wait a minute. You got on a ship to run from your God who created the sea? You see, I didn't think that through too well, right? Didn't think that through too well. Sailors are 
terrified. They say, well, what do we do? What do we do? Verse 12, picking it up, Jonah says, pick me up and throw me into the sea. It will become calm. I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not because the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Oh, Lord, please. Now they're praying to the real Lord, real God. Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. They took Jonah, threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew what? Calm. That's the part of the story in the next part that most of us remember when we remember Jonah. We're pretty sure we, we understand it. Like there's Jonah, the part of the story, there's Jonah, and then there's a whale, and the whale, if you remember right, the whale's name is Monstro. Jonah is running away from Geppetto, and he wants nothing else than to be a real boy, right? <laughs> you follow me? We think of it more like a fairy tale. It was real. And what amazes me is people have a hard time accepting that God could allow a whale to swallow someone. But yet we believe and we understand that man can create a submarine to go underneath the sea and we can live in there for months and years at a time. This is God. Verse 17, the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. It was no, nowhere does it say whale, but it says God provided a huge fish where he survived for three days and three nights. God allows the fish to swoop Jonah up, and God's real clear with this fish. He's like, swallow, but don't chew fish. No, that's not in there. But it's still amazing, right? And Jonah comes to realization. Chapter 2 begins with Jonah and this great fish. Jonah's doing something within that fish that he hasn't yet done. From the inside of the fish, Jonah prayed. That's a pretty good idea right now, right? He begins to worship God. In my distress, he says, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. And he's struck by this miraculous salvation. It's a little bit messy. It's a little bit gross. But he goes from living inside of this fish in chapter 2, verse 10. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Chapter 1, verse 1, chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord, listen, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. In other words, God says, Jonah, let's try this again. Almost the exact same language as chapter 1. The Lord came a second time and said, Jonah, let's try it again. Understand the word of the Lord comes again, and it comes again, and it comes again. Even to us, the word of the Lord comes to you. You don't listen. 
It may be come a second time, come a third time. It's coming to you again on bitterness today. I don't know how many times in your life you've heard about bitterness, but it's coming again. It's how we respond to that that matters. Chapter 2, verse 3. Jonah obeyed after the second one. The word of the Lord, he went to Nineveh. Good decision, right? Jonah goes to Nineveh. He preaches the message. In 40 days, the city will be destroyed. From Jonah's perspective, these people need no second chance. They get no second chance. Verse 6. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. And he issues this decree. Verse 8. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up all their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. God sees the people repent. Verse 10, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented. He had compassion on them. Did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. Wow. That feels like it should be the end of the story. Jonah experiences the grace of God. People of Nineveh experience God's grace. God gives them both a second chance. God doesn't bring destruction that he threatened. Seems like it should be the end, but it's not the end. Jonah's not happy with those people. He wants grace from God for himself, but he doesn't want it for those people. Chapter 4 begins this way. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. He's thinking, God, that's not the way I would have done it. And he becomes angry. And so you have two prayers from this prophet in this story. One of them is the expression of appreciation for God's grace in his life a prayer of thanksgiving. The other is a prayer of bitterness because he doesn't think those people should have had a second chance. Only he deserved a second chance. Come across any Christians like that who may sing and worship God and praise God like we did this morning, praise him for his grace and his forgiveness. Thank you, God, for all the grace you've given me, the forgiveness you've given me. But those people? God, they don't deserve that. Anger and bitterness. Jonah 4.4. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord provided a leafy plant and made it grow over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. 
But at dawn, the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the plant, so it withered. Verse 8, when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I am so angry, I wish I were dead. Wow. Jonah didn't do anything to provide that plant. God made it. God gave it to him. And at the root of his bitterness and selfishness, it turned into entitlement, self-entitlement. And we do the same thing with God, thinking we deserve this. We deserve this. But the Lord said, look, you've been concerned about this plant. And though you did not tend to it or make it grow, Jonah, you didn't do anything. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. And should I have not have concern for the city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left hand, also many animals. Jonah, shouldn't I have concern for them? The end. That's the end of the story. If you hear this for the first time and you're reading it, you're probably flipping, where's chapter 5? Where's the rest of the story? Jonah is angry. Jonah is bitter. He wants God's grace for himself, but he doesn't want it for anybody else. And that's how he decides to live his life. Can you imagine living that way? In such a way that you come and you worship God, you praise God, you sing about his grace, you sing about his forgiveness in your life, but then you think, them? Nah, not for them. Not for those people. And yet that's how it ends. I wish it ended differently. I was rereading a story of Corey Ten Boone. She tells about the horrors of living in a concentration camp. And the Nazi jailers brutalized her and her sister at Ravensbrück. And Corey, she watched her sister in this concentration camp. She watched her wither away and die under Nazi abuse. But she survived. She then was released from the concentration camp. She went on to become an evangelist. And she writes about preaching in Munich, Germany in 1947. And after one of her messages, she describes a man coming forward. And instantly she recognized who he was. It was a guard from Ravensbrück. And here's how she writes about that moment. She writes, I saw him, a balding, heavy-set man in a gray overcoat, brown felt hat, clutched between his hands. People were filing out of the basement room where I had just spoken the message of God's forgiveness. It was the truth they needed most to hear in that bitter, bombed-out land. And I gave them my favorite mental picture, that when we confess our sins, 
I said, God cast them into the deepest of oceans and they're gone forever. There were never any questions after a talk in Germany in 1947. She says, people stood up in silence and in silence they collected their wraps and in silence they left the room. And she says, then I saw him walking his, working his way to the front of the room. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat. The next, in my mind, I saw a blue uniform and a cap with its skull and crossbones. In a huge room with its harsh overhead lights and a pathetic pow of dresses and shoes in the center on the floor. The shame of walking past this man while I was naked. Now he was in front of me with his hand thrust out. He said, fine message, fine message. How good it is to know, as you say, that all of our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take out my hand. He would not remember me, of course, how could he remember me, one prisoner among those thousands of women? But I remembered him and the leather crop swinging from his belt. I was face to face with one of my captors, and my blood seemed to freeze. He went on. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk. He was saying, I was a guard there. Again, he didn't remember me. But since that time he went on, I've become a Christian. And I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there. But I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Will you forgive me? I stood there. I whose sins had again and again been forgiven, yet could I not forgive? My sister Betsy died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply by asking? I, it could have not been many seconds that he stood there with his hand out, but to me it seemed like hours that as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew it. The message that God forgives has a prior condition that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive yours. And I still stood there with coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I know that too. Forgiveness is an act of will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of our heart. Help, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand out. I can do that much, God. You simply supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into his outstretched hand. As I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started from my 
in my shoulder and raced down my arm and sprang through our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried. I forgive you with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. I wish Jonah's story would have ended like that. But instead, Jonah's story ended in bitterness, anger, and hurt. For those people and for God. The question, the huge question, is how will your story end? All of us are still alive and breathing. Our stories are being written. They haven't been finished. Will we allow bitterness, resentment, and hurt to be the end of our story? Or, just as we've been forgiven by Jesus, just as we've all had the opportunity, many of us have, been washed clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what we've received, forgiveness. The question is, will we freely give it to those people? Father, we thank you so much for your sacrifice for us. God, that you willingly suffered and died on a cross saying, I forgive you this much. God, all of us in this room, I know, I know, have bitterness, have hurt, have resentment towards one of those people. God, I pray that you would release us from that. God, I pray that we would have the heart with your help and the courage and the strength with your help to forgive as you have forgiven us. And Father, if there's someone in this room that's never experienced that forgiveness, the forgiveness that flows from the cross through the blood of your son, Jesus Christ, God, I'd love to talk to him. Let him come up to any of us up here on this stage. Because God, life in your son, life with you, makes life worth living. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.